Critics of the United Pentecostal Church International sometimes accuse its members of being legalistic. Is this a fair criticism? What does the term legalism or legalistic even mean? UPCI General Superintendent Dr. David K. Bernard responds on this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Those of us who are in the United Pentecostal Church International, really in the entire Apostolic Pentecostal movement, we have at some point in our lives, we've encountered someone who accused us of being a legalist. It seems like that t- that uh, criticism gets leveled at us a lot because of our teachings on personal holiness. But I'd like you to define what that term legalism even means. I think it gets thrown around a lot, but what does it what does it mean and how do you respond to this criticism? Are apostolic Pentecostals legalists if you want to boil the question down to its essence? Uh, let me first of all give you a reference. I wrote a book that addresses this, has an entire chapter on this subject. It's called Practical Holiness, A Second Look. So if you want more uh, study in this regard, I recommend that book. But let's define legalism. Uh, Legalism in the Christian context means uh, salvation by works. You think you can be saved by your good works or by keeping the law. That's legalism. Uh, And we absolutely deny legalism. We do not believe in legalism. I think our common ground, we can go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we agree on that. But I would also add verse 10, for we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So while we're not saved by works, We're saved by faith, but it's a living faith that will produce good works, that will lead us into good works. So uh, legalism then, we we would deny the charge that we think we're saved by works. We think we're saved by grace. It's a gift of God through faith, trusting in God. And I think in other podcasts I've talked about that. um, Sometimes people accuse us of legalism because of our emphasis on water baptism and the Holy Spirit. But let me explain very clearly We do believe that the New Testament plan of salvation is stated in Acts 2.38, repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And when you do, there will be this initial sign of speaking in tongues. So some people say we're legalists because you believe in these works. Well, let's look at water baptism. Water baptism is not our work. We can't save ourselves. The preacher doesn't take away our sins. The water doesn't take away our sins. Our act doesn't take away our sins. But what happens is God takes away our sins. So we are just submitting to God's plan. God is the one who washes away our sins. Uh, And by the way, 
actually the majority of Christian churches of various denominations have taught that. Of course, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Lutheran Church, which Luther was the one who started the Protestant Reformation on the statement of the just shall live by faith. But the Lutherans actually still believe baptism is necessary and it's for the remission of sins. Uh, other Protestant groups do as well, like the Churches of Christ and different ones. So uh, to say that we are legalists because we preach water baptism, first of all, we're just doing what the Scripture says. Second of all, that is a minority view even within all those groups that call themselves Christian. Most can understand that it's not our work, it's God doing the work. And likewise with the Holy Spirit, it's explicitly the gift it's a, it's a gift. And when we speak in tongues, that's not us manufacturing it, teaching it, making it happen. That's God doing it. And I like to say, look, don't, don't blame me for speaking tongues. I didn't choose that. God's the one who does that. I just tell people to have faith in Jesus, repent, seek God. He's the one that causes them to start speaking in tongues, not me. Uh, so the, the new birth, as I've just defined it, Acts 2.38, is not our human works to save us. I do not regard repentance, water baptism, and the Holy Ghost as works that save us. Rather, God is the one who's doing the work. Even repentance, uh, we can have a New Year's resolution, and but that's not really repentance, and that's not very effective either. Uh, repentance is actually a work of the heart where we submit to God, but God is the one who changes our desires, who breaks the habits of sin in our lives. So I look at repentance, water baths of the Holy Spirit. That is our expression of faith in God. But God is the one who bestows grace to enable us at repentance. We, we show up and we say, Lord, I surrender. And he's the one who turns our heart. At water baptism, we show up and say, I'm just here because you told me to be here. I'm asking you to wash away our sins, my sins. And he's the one who washed away our sins. By the way, that's why we always call in the name of Jesus Christ, because we realize we're not taking away our sins. Only Jesus could do that. And if he doesn't do it, we're, we're not going to have our sins taken away. Um, and then when we receive the Holy Spirit, again, we're just showing up, opening our hearts, surrendering, praising God, saying, Lord, here I am, fill me. But God is the one who fills us. I, I give an, an illustration like this. Let's say... Uh, that um, could you use $100,000? I'm assuming you could. Oh, so let's say I tell you tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, uh, meet me at Bank of America. I'll give you $100,000. Now, I'm assuming you really want that. If you truly believe that would happen, what would you do? I'd probably go drive straight from here to Bank of America. You would be there. And you wouldn't wait to the last minute. You wouldn't Google and see. takes 15 minutes to get there, so I'll just leave at 15 minutes. No, you would go there an hour early, whatever. Now, if you show up, I would draw the money. i give you $100,000. You didn't earn it. You didn't do any you know, amount of work. If at the last minute I said, you know, I changed my mind, you can't sue me. There's no contract. You didn't work however many hours it would take to earn that. So when I give you the money, that's grace. It's a gift. When you receive the money, that's faith. You believe me. If you didn't believe me, you wouldn't have been there. You wouldn't have received it because you believe me. You trusted me. Notice faith can involve meeting the conditions of the promise. Faith can involve obedience. 
Faith can involve showing up. But just meeting the conditions of the promise or just obeying the terms of the promise is not itself a good work that earns your salvation, that gives you a claim, a legal claim. So I think a lot of people that say we're legalists, they just assume, well, any kind of response would be legalism. Well, not so. Even a simple prayer under, if you're going to go that route, a simple prayer would be a response. And of course, there are some who believe in unconditional eternal security will say, yes, you know, God just picks you apart from your uh, any response. Of course, that totally wipes out the biblical concept of faith and repentance, and I've addressed that in a different podcast. But even if you're willing to concede that a person needs to generally respond in faith, well, you're basically conceding the point that I am. It's just a question of what response does God expect? Um, and some Protestants, when pushed, they'll even say you don't have to repent. There was a, a debate over lordship salvation among conservative evangelicals uh, that some say, well, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So by accepting as the Lord, you're, you're repenting. You're promising to obey him. Even if you don't perfectly fulfill it, your heart has a desire. And some are saying, no, that would be work. That would be legalism. You just, if you just, the bare bones say, Jesus is my Savior. He died for my sins and I want him to save me. But I have no intention of living for him. He's not my Lord. I'm not going to obey him. I'm not going to repent. I'm going to keep living in sin, but I want him to save me. And some people say that itself is salvation requiring anything more, even a repentance would be legalism. Well, you can see how absurd that becomes when you push it to that extent. So I, so that's the one ground where I think we preach the apostolic doctrine of the new birth. That's not legalism. That is the new birth experience. Okay. The second reason is because we teach practical holiness. Uh, we teach people, um, you know, to dress modestly. We, we say, don't smoke, don't drink, uh, don't watch pornography, uh, or other, you know, even things that may not be pornography, but reading and watching and viewing and searching things that are immoral and explicit. So these are the kind of examples. Uh, and so they'll say that's legalism because you think you're saved by your works. And I would hasten to add, if you think that following a checklist can earn your salvation, yes, you're a legalist, but we don't believe that. So if you say, okay, I go to church every Sunday, I pray once a day, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I wear modest clothing, I don't curse, um, so I deserve to go to heaven. God has to let me in. No, that, that would be legalism. We don't believe that. Now, some when we teach holiness, sometimes people may, may carry it to such an extreme but I would always, and then then you could ask, well, what if I violate one thing? What if I smoke one cigarette? What if I drink one beer? What if my dress is a little too short? What if I, a woman trims a little bit of her hair? You know, is she going to hell? And I would always like to turn the question around to say, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by our relationship of faith in God, not by our good works. But if you do have faith, faith will lead to obedience where you will desire to do God's word, and you will in fact do it because you believe it's right. So what does it say about you if you deliberately disobey what the Bible is taught? It means you really don't believe. And if you really don't believe, then yes, that calls into question your relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the basis of your salvation. So while I'm not going to go into, well, if I do this one thing, am I going to hell? If I do this one thing, if I, do, if I don't follow this, don't follow that, 
I am going to say, wait a minute, you're asking the wrong question. Go back to the foundation. Are you truly living by faith? That's the basis of your salvation. But if you are living by faith, you will obey God's word. And if you deliberately refuse to obey God's word, and maybe if you make a mistake and sin or you don't realize something that, that is wrong and you study and you realize what God wants and you repent, you correct that, okay, fine. But if you're deliberately disobeying God's word, that tells me you're not living by faith. And if you're not living by faith, then yes, your salvation is in question, not because of your performance or non-performance of certain deeds, but because salvation is by grace through faith. Now, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian, actually was executed by the Nazis. He made a powerful statement, which I think can be applied to conversion, but also to the life of holiness. He said, only he who believes is obedient, but only he who is obedient believes. Now, I think this is a scriptural concept. Because what we're wrestling with in our Western culture, we separate believing something from obeying something. So I can believe something in my head, even though I have no intention of following it. But in the Bible, the test of your belief is what you do. It's not what you say. So if uh, let's say you really value your life and you smoke incessantly, which as we all know, brings high risk of various diseases, including lung cancer. What, over 400,000 Americans die every year because of uh, smoking cigarettes. So, you know, if if you're smoking away and you say, do you believe that's bad for you? Yeah, I believe it's bad for you, but I want to do it. So we can separate what I believe from how I act. But I would say more fundamentally, biblically, if you really believe that, you wouldn't be smoking. So, It depends on how you approach it. So I would say saving faith is a relationship, not just a mental acknowledgement of something. And so you're going to act according to your deepest belief. So if you're pursuing holiness, that's a good indication. You're really committed to that. If you're not pursuing holiness, no matter what you say intellectually, that's a good indication you're not committed. So faith involves trust, reliance, commitment, obedience. That's the bottom line. And it's a relationship. The just shall live by faith. Now, I don't have time to go into all that, but I'm just making the connection. Only he who is obedient believes. So once again, we're not saying you can perform certain deeds to earn your salvation. Uh, There are Muslim people who dress modestly, who don't drink, who have a lot of restrictions. Doesn't mean they're saved. Um, Their faith is not in Jesus Christ. But, you know, it's interesting. Legalism can also be defined as living by rules and regulations, living by law. And if that's the way we pursue holiness, I will say that's wrong. We have to live for uh, for God out of love. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We pursue holiness out of faith because we believe God's word is true and we should follow it. Um, faith issues forth in obedience. We uh, pursue holiness because we love God. We want to please him. Uh, but here's the, the main point I'll make in that regard. For some reason, people think, well, if we get rid of legalism, the alternative is license. In other words, everybody do whatever you want to do. Uh, but the book of Judges, the last verse, tells you what happens when everyone does right in his own eyes. The result is not holiness. The result is gross sin. Uh, 
and and uh, you can read the book of Judges to see how terrible all those sins were. So the Bible does not depict that as the solution. But I would say the alternative to legalism is love because love imposes an internal law, which is more strict on you than the law. So when we say we don't, we're not legalists, but we pursue holiness. Some people assume, oh, you're a legalist because you, you have all these teachings. But really, all Christian groups do that. If you teach that fornication is wrong, if you teach that abortion is wrong, if you teach that adultery is wrong, those are rules, right? So we don't think following those rules saves us, but following those rules does t- tell us a lot about are we living by faith? And are we living out of love for God? And if the answer is no, then yes, our salvation is in jeopardy. So in essence, the people that call us legalists because we teach modesty of dress or gender distinction in dress or ladies letting their hair grow long, men cutting their hair short, they call that legalism. Well, what about their rules? Are they willing to throw out all rules? Are they willing to support transgenderism? Are they willing to say men should wear dresses? Uh, or, you know, are they willing to say adultery should be a personal choice? If, if, uh, if drunkenness should be a personal choice. So if they're not, if they're not willing to say that, then by their own terms, they are legalists. But I would argue following holiness is not legalism. And, and here's why you replace legalism. You replace the law by love and love actually is more strict on you than the law would be to illustrate, uh, to have a, a biblical marriage and have a good marriage, you must obey the rule, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the law. But just keeping that law while it's necessary to have a good marriage, it's not sufficient. I could be abusive verbally, physically. I could uh, disrespect, disregard, and, and fail to care for my wife, neglect her, and still keep that law. So I could keep the law and have a very unhappy and dysfunctional marriage. But if I love my wife, then I'm going to cherish her, respect her. I'm not going to beat her. I'm not going to uh, yell at her. I'm not going to mistreat her. And if I fail in anything, I will repent. And why? Because of love, not because the law demands it. You know, you know, I, the, you know. If the, my wife wants me to do something, I'd say, "Well, I didn't promise that in our marriage agreement." That's not the point. The point is, do I love her? Do I, am I going to take her? concerned seriously? Am I going to respect her? So in this illustration, love causes me to be far more strict on myself than the law could ever do. So actually the law is a minimum requirement. The law is good. It's not bad. If all else fails in in a moment of temptation or carnality, that law do not commit adultery could stop me from destroying my marriage and my relation with God. But just that law is not going to give me a good marriage and good relation with God. It takes something more. It takes love. And so the same thing uh, in my relationship with God. So if I say, well, you know, what's the minimum I can get by with and be saved? That's legalism. What's the minimum I can do by, get by with and sing in the choir or teach Sunday school or be a voting member? Um, you know, how, how can I s- s- drink one beer or maybe one sip of one beer or how many is too many? Or can I drink, smoke one cigarette or w- w- how many do I smoke before I go to hell? Uh, if the pastor says, wear your dress here, if I, if I go a half inch, do I go to hell? Well, if that doesn't send me to hell, well, what if I go a half inch above that half inch? You know, you can argue yourself out of any thing. And so in the practical application of holiness, you might say some lines are arbitrary in the sense that, you know, it's not, not everything is heaven or hell. There's a line here. 
But legalism says, I want to get as close to the line as possible, which means, of course, I'm going to fall on the wrong side often, or I may misjudge it. Love says, I'm not talking about how close to the line I get. I'm talking about how close to God I can get. So if I'm looking at legalistically, can I prove if you smoke one cigarette, you're going to hell? Well, there's no scripture for that. But if I look at it from love, if I really love God, um, I wouldn't want to harm my body. I would I, I would not want to do something that addicts me. I want to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. I would not um, want to set a bad example for others. If I love my kids, if I love my neighbors that I'm trying to save, then I'm not going to do things that are questionable or borderline or be a bad example. So love removes that whole debate. Now we're not talking about what's the scripture for doing this one thing. Rather, it becomes what does the whole of Scripture say? What is the will of God for my life? What is the choice that draws me closer to God? What is the choice that blesses my family, that sets a good example for my kids, that helps me be an effective soul winner? So really, most of the issues of holiness become very easy when you approach it from the point of view, what does love ask of me? So I would absolutely deny the charge that we're legalists. I would caution us not to allow ourselves to slip into legalistic thinking that we sometimes can do or not to teach and preach in a legalistic way. But when it comes to the plan of salvation, it's the obedience of faith that is the key. And it's God doing the work, not our doing the work. When it comes to the pursuit of holiness, again, it's we're, we're serving God out of faith, which leads us to obey what God's word teaches, and we serve God out of love, which leads us to draw closer to him more than required, so to speak, more than what the law would dictate. We're not interested in the law. We're interested in going far beyond the law to seek the will of God for our lives. If we have that attitude, then we can have confidence that we're saved by grace through faith. We don't live under condemnation. We live under the grace of God. But if we are uh, trying to pursue our selfish will, then yes, at one point or the other, we're going to live a disobedient life, which means we're not living by faith, which means we don't have the assurance of salvation. We're not legalist. Instead, we have assurance of salvation as we walk by faith and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit PentecostalPublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's PentecostalPublishing.com, promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.